Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We are live in the Morton studio today. We've got a great show for you. We are going to talk a little about fertilizer and soybeans, especially pop-up fertilizer or at-plant fertilizer, but just all fertility in general in soybeans is tremendously important. So we want to talk a little about how to do it and how not to do it today on the show. If you've got any questions for us, or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on in your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, so just to begin with on the pop-up fertilizer thing, I would just say this. Well, you can do some fertilizer in furrow, in soybeans, you've got to be really, really careful. It doesn't take a whole lot of salt there to cause a major problem. So when we compare this to corn, you can absolutely put more fertilizer in the furrow in corn, even there. You have to be real careful. And it is going to vary because the heavier your soil and the more rainfall you have, the more fertility you could put out there. So if you've got light soil and you happen to have a dry spring, you're going to be in trouble if you have very much fertility there near and especially on the seed. Now, a lot of people, Darren, would say, well, you know, to have a perfect stand of soybeans isn't near as important as having a perfect stand of corn, and I would agree with that. But soybean seed is expensive, and I would like every seed to grow if I can. That's exactly right. If you only want 80,000 final stand, then why don't you plant 140? I just think we want to get every seed up that we possibly can, and we're shooting for a population that's going to leave at least 95% of those plants in great shape out in the field. Right. So when we start talking about pop-up fertilizer with any crop, the number one thing that we're going to talk about is having less salt there. Now, you can do that in a few different ways. You can cut the rate. You can use a low-salt product. You can blend it off with water. You can adjust how you're putting the fertilizer on so it gets off onto the, the, the trench, onto the sidewalls of the trench, a little bit more as opposed to right on the seed. So there are a lot of ways to manage through that thing a little bit. But I would just say this. We still use at least a very low rate of pop-up fertilizer on soybeans, not much at all, usually half gallon, gallon, that's about it. On corn, we don't want to go much past three, four gallons on, on our own farm. So we're, we're just real careful about the worst case scenario. And what we have to be thinking about all the time is crop safety. And so I realize nine out of 10 years, you can put more on. But the problem is the one year where you can't, it absolutely kills you. And that's what I worry about. So I would rather find another way to get the vast majority of my fertilizer out there. We do a lot of strip till on our farm, so we deep band. We have done two by two. We have done uh, actually about a four by four on each side of the row. We've done a lot of broadcast. We do a little bit of foliar. I mean, there are lots of ways to apply fertilizer out there. And, you know, probably the big thing is we just want to make sure that you have ample fertility for the soybean yield that you expect. And probably the biggest things, and, and Darren, I don't know what you think, but I, I, I think when I look at, at soil tests, 
Almost number one invariably for me is people don't have enough fertility there in terms of potassium to get the kind of yield that they're hoping for in soybeans. So I'd say that's the first thing that I usually see that's deficient for soybean fertility. What do you see? Well, we've, we've seen such a huge difference on our own farm as well, adding more potassium over the years. We've seen an increase in the size of our soybean seed, and we're getting a lot of yield benefit out of that. We're finding many of the growers that are changing that on their farms and improving their potassium availability and also the amount that's out in their soil are seeing the same type of thing. They're seeing more yield. They're seeing thicker stalks, better standing material, and, you know, that's the other thing, too, Brian. You talk a lot about yield. I want harvestable yield. And we've heard so much over the last few years from farmers in all parts of the country, gosh, we're getting a lot of floppy soybeans out there. We're also raising tremendously high corn yields and pulling a lot of potassium out of our soil that we're not putting back. And that's part of the reason that we're seeing more of these sloppy beans. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, the the thing, too, is when you fertilize for corn and you say, I'm going to have plenty of leftover, then what I would do is I would look real hard at what the overall nutrient needs are for the corn crop versus the bean crop, because typically what we need is more potassium with the beans, more phosphorus for the corn. So as soon as you fertilize what you think is, oh, I'm going to have plenty left over for the soybeans by over-fertilizing the corn. You don't. You have phosphorus. You do not have potassium. Exactly right. And when we look at soybeans, there's so many things. The other thing I look at, Brian, is even when we get down to micronutrients and just pick the one that farmers are probably using the most of, zinc, and you look at how much zinc is getting put on corn at a quart per acre, you're putting on two-tenths of a pound, which is what 200 bushel corn removes. If you're getting more than 200 bushel corn, you're actually going backwards, even on your corn rotation. And then you look at what soybeans need. They need a little bit of zinc, too. And I don't know hardly anybody that's putting regularly putting zinc on soybeans. So the micronutrients are going to be really important as well. Yeah, I kind of look at copper. So when we start talking about what are the most important nutrients in soybeans, yes, obviously P and K are going to vault to the top of the list. Sulfur is certainly important, and a lot of times we see that being short. But copper can be a big thing because if you have good copper levels, usually we see less sudden death syndrome. We see fewer plants just having disease in general. We see less where the seed coat is falling off the soybeans. So, I mean, that can be a big difference too. And I would say too, just to kind of wrap up our opening segment here on pop-up fertilizer with soybeans, we have been doing a low rate of a blended micronutrient product, got 10 different micros in there. And I do like that with soybeans. I We use that in corn as well. So it doesn't just have to be like a P or K that you're throwing out there. A lot of people will do a little bit of that, but not a lot of people I talk to will put much in terms of micronutrients in there. And I'm not saying pop-up's the way to go. You can do two by two, you can do a bunch of different methods, but it's one of the things to consider. We'll continue talking fertility right after this. Hey Adam, new drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree. In the power lines. Oh, it's in for the house. 
There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The Laser. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System. The system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready-to-Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus, LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common-sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. We're talking about soybean fertility today and especially answering the questions that we commonly get about, well, how much fertilizer can I put in furrow and soybeans? Should I put any in there? Do I have to really be super careful? We wanted to kind of answer those questions and, and just talk a little about what the plan is going into the spring. So first on the show today, we've got Dr. Jerry Willem. He is with AgriLiquid. Jerry, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well, Brian. How's it going your way? Uh, it's going great so far. I am excited to get planting here soon and uh, stop thinking about all the news that uh, that obviously yeah. everybody is concerned about, as we are as well. But, you know, when we talk about soybean fertility, and, and that's our topic today, I, I just wanted to see what your thoughts were in terms of, you know, we talk corn fertility all the time. We talk about throwing some in furrow in corn. But very few people actually put fertility in furrow in soybeans. And I just wanted to see what your opinion is uh, is on it. How much do you think you can put on? And what are the key factors we should be looking at? Well, I had a couple of things I wanted to kind of bring up. I mean, you talked about planning date. That is something I, I will uh, maybe maybe talk about next. But, yeah, the in furrow part, really you got to be careful. Uh, there's so many things to think about, like how heavy is your soil? Are you a sandy soil or are you a clay soil? Obviously, the clay soils can take a little bit higher rate. So then people people say, well, hey, this guy says he put four or five gallons in furrow of some fertilizer, and I'm going to do that too. And they do it on sand, and it blows up. And so you got to be aware of your of your of your uh, you know soil texture and that sort of thing. The salt, like you said, and then the other thing is is this my main fertilizer program or is this just part of a fertilizer program? I mean, row spacing really dictates how much you can put in furrow. I mean, with our fertilizers, we don't like to go over three gallons per acre. 
obviously three gallons per acre isn't going to be bringing you a whole lot of fertilizer. Nope. So that cannot be your full fertilizer program. Right. It has to be, uh, you know, part of a program. But with narrower rows, like 15s or drilled or that sort of thing, you can, uh, basically, we're, we're happy with, uh, you know, you know, seven or so gallons in for on narrower rows. And so, you know, there's a lot of things to consider, soil texture and row spacing. Okay, how about specific nutrients then? Which nutrients do you feel fairly comfortable with where you say, okay, I'm less worried about those, and maybe which ones are you more concerned about? Well, I guess I'll give the same disclaimer you guys often do is look at the soil test. What do you need? Uh, we've run studies a lot of times our, our phosphorus levels are decent. I mean, they're in the medium range and uh, where we always get a response to putting uh, phosphorus fertilizer info on corn, uh, we often don't see that. Like we, we have a corn soybean experiment right next to each other, same soil test and everything, and we'll get a strong phosphorus response to uh, uh, info on corn but maybe we don't see much of a response at all on soybeans, and that's because that, as you plant later, the soil warms up and releases its own phosphorus, so the plant can take that up. The soybean can take that up because it's planted later. Well, However, also, we yeah, I, I was mentioning oh, that a little bit earlier in the show. The, the soybean plant doesn't need as much phosphorus either as that corn plant does. So that was kind of my point. A lot of guys that say, well, I'm just going to fertilize my corn and over-fertilize my corn. I'll leave whatever's left over for the soybeans. Well, yeah, on, if, if it's a high phosphorus program and low on other stuff, that's not right. doing you a whole lot of good. Chances are you mined most of it out with the corn anyway. And if you're leaving extra phosphorus behind, yeah, I agree with you 100%. We don't see the same kind of response out of phosphorus with soybeans because, like I say, it just it doesn't require as much. Yeah, that's true. And I know that I've heard the talk about trying to get soybeans in the ground even earlier now. And, we, yep. and we've done some studies on that. It's, it's it really is year dependent, but some sure. years we do see that uh, the earlier planets just don't yield as high, uh, even under you know decent conditions. The 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 more normal planet early May versus mid April just uh, tends to yield it. But we do see a, a phosphorus response to those earlier planted ones. We'll see sure. maybe three more bushels or so to some phosphorus when the, the soil is cold, just kind of like corn. So, but the early planting just regularly just doesn't doesn't didn't pay off in the long run yeah we have a lot more farmers talking about early planting soybeans and a lot of the results i've seen from a lot of the people that want to do it are showing me hey when i planted earlier i had more yield now maybe not quite as early a planting as what you're talking about there mid-april but just being right at let's say the first crop insurance date or a few days after yeah. that and and exactly. that, yeah so like our first crop insurance date i think is april 26th for soybeans well if we could get our beans planted between there and let's call it may 1st to may 5th that's we're getting much more yield than we are if we plant may 15th may 20th and that's kind of what it used to be so yeah it is moving right. a little earlier and to your point some of these nutrients like phosphorus just aren't very available then and that's the reason we talk so much about corn and pop-up fertilizer but I agree with you it's really the same thing with soybeans if we're planting into cold soils early on let's face it we farm in the northern United States where you're at Michigan northern United States um, soils are pretty cold most years and you know cold and wet that's not really great for fertility availability so yeah, so again, you know, knowing what knowing the timing and where your soil's at to start with, and that sort of thing can kind of 
influence that. But the main thing is uh, just don't overdo it because, like you said, soybeans are expensive and, you know, set a population that you want and uh, don't hurt it by uh, overdoing the intro. Okay, so let's change gears then for a second. So, I mean, throwing a little bit out there in furrow, probably just fine. But if the farmer needs more fertilizer, which most of us do, how do you feel about two-by-two with soybeans, and how high a rate are you willing to push it there? I really have no fear of practically any rate with uh, two-by-two. You're allowing the plant to get some size on it, uh, before it, it reaches over to that uh, fertilizer placement. I mean, you don't want to go crazy because you will. I have seen roots grow into a two by two, and uh, you know get some get some uh, root burn and that sort of thing. But you can put rates on that could probably satisfy that uh, fertilizer requirement in that away from the seed placement in thirty inch rows. Yeah, we have a lot of people that will do some two-by-two. There's a lot more that's getting done strip-till as well, so lots of different ways to do it. Um, And and then I guess the other way that a lot of people will fertilize their soybeans, just granted at low rates, is foliar. So do you have any quick tips for us? We've got a couple minutes left here, Jerry. I mean, just tell us what you know about foliar fertilizer on soybeans. Where have you seen the best results? Well, here in the upper Midwest, uh, potassium is, is the one that we uh, have the best results with foliar. We're still working on phosphorus, and some of our multinutrient products have phosphorus in it, but phosphorus just isn't taken up as well foliarly right. as other nutrients, particularly potassium. And yep. So our product, Sure is a great foliar application, but just like I often talk about, just, a, just applying that one nutrient and not paying attention to other nutrients will not make it work as well, and the, um, that's where a micronutrient, particularly manganese, can come in. And we've had very good results with, with uh, Sure and manganese uh, because uh, manganese, you look at our, uh, our soil tests, manganese levels are like in low single digits often, and so that is a time that you could put on foliar and uh, more balanced program, potassium, manganese, and, and even boron, often we see a response to it in a soybeans. Now, Jerry, I'm glad you said something, uh, and uh, for most of our listeners, I don't know if you caught that, with manganese, the soil test is showing we don't have a lot in a lot of fields. It seems to me like over the last few years, Roundup has gotten blamed for tying up manganese, and I go, wait a second, the soil test says I don't have any in the first place. How's it going to tie it up if there's not much out there to begin with? So, you know, a lot of people are thinking, well, it's the Roundup doing it, and I I, I disagree with that 100%. We've run a bunch of tests on that. We're not seeing any difference with Roundup or without Roundup, but what we are seeing is, yeah, in some cases there can be some response to manganese because we are so low, both in the soil and then eventually in the tissue analysis. Well, we've been talking to Dr. Jerry Willem. He is with AgriLiquid. Hey, Jerry, thanks a lot for the time today. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot to you, too, Brian. Good luck. Bye. Thanks. You, too. All right. We will continue talking about soybean fertility after this. If you've got a question for us or anything you'd like to talk about, just call us here, 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. 
With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Before it's too late and white mold becomes a problem, you need to ask your seed dealer for Heads Up Seed Treatment. When raising soybeans in the Midwest, you know the risk of being caught unprepared. As heard on Ag PhD, there are several steps you can take prior to planting for a successful management plan against white mold. Compatible and cost-effective season-long protection starts now by asking your seed dealer to apply Heads Up to your 2020 bean seed order. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. We planted early February, we have all good emergence, and so far we can't find any condition that the wheels haven't worked. I can just say that. Closing the seed trench behind the planter is essential to establishing yields in the fall. Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer who is tired of seeing poor stands because of uneven emergence, the Germinator is here to give your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. For more information, visit us at farmshopmfg.com. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. If you've got a question for us, just send me an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag a little bit later in the show. But first, I want to get back to the phone lines here. We've got Mike Staten on with us. He is a soybean educator with Michigan State University. Mike, how are you doing today? Real good, Brian. How about you? Great. So we're talking about fertility in soybeans, and where we basically wanted to start with this is pop-up fertilizer in beans. We do get a number of questions about that. People have systems on their planters, so they can do that for corn, and so a lot of people are planting their soybeans with the corn planter, and they say, hey, I got this system here. Can I use it? How much fertilizer can I put on? What should I put on? And so I guess I'll just open it up to you there. When farmers ask you that question, where do you go from there? Really good, good questions. And uh, 
and you're right, we want to push our soybeans a little bit with a higher level of management than what we have in the past. And of course, near seed placement fertilizer is one of those opportunities as we perceive it. We have uh, done some trials at MSU. So the first thing I would lean on is our on-farm trial uh, database. And we've looked at both in-furrow or pop-ups, and we've also looked at two-by-twos in soybeans over multiple locations, multiple years yep. in replicated trials. And uh, as we look at the pop-ups, I know that's what you wanted to focus on, Brian. As we look at the pop-ups or in-furrow, um, we had 11 trials, and uh, the pop-up fertilizer did increase the soybean yield in two out of those 11 trials. The bad news is it also in, uh, decreased yield in <laughs> yep. one of the trials. Yep. So there is some risk there, and that's one of the things I would let producers know. Soybeans are very sensitive to salt injury. And uh, there's certain fertilizer, of course, that are more salty than others. Okay, so what kind of rates were getting used here? And, and it's interesting because we looked at a bunch of different products, but what we looked at was a Nature's product back then. It was the G20, mm-hmm. plus it was their Microbolt manganese and micro, Microbolt um, molybdenum. So two gallons per acre of the G20, and I think it was, I'd have to check the rates on the others. Um, but very benign fertilizer, so we wouldn't expect a problem. Um, but uh, And actually, that was not one of the products that caused the yield decline in the infurl. I'd have to oh. go back and look at that, Brian. Sure. But the Nature's product did not, But it, it um, and that was the bulk of the trials. I would say that was probably 10 out of the 11 trials. This other one was a producer's pick, uh, and I'm trying to think what uh, I can dig up that rates, but I don't have that handy right now. Yeah, that's what we talked about at the open of the show today. You know, if a farmer wants to do this, and I, I, I'm fine if a guy wants to do it, but you got to keep that salt rate down just like you said. So we talked about cutting the rate, using a lower salt product, even blending it off with some water, doing anything you can to just reduce the potential that that seed is hitting a bunch of salt. Because some years, yeah, it'll work. But, I mean, it all depends. If you happen to hit a dry year, now you're really in trouble. And that's the last thing we want to have is, just like you said there, a yield decrease, spend money and lose yield. That doesn't sound like a good proposition in any economy, but especially in today's farm economy, that's just not going to work. We lose you, Mike. You still there? And I think we probably lost Mike. All right, uh, Alex, why don't you see if you can get Mike back on the line there for us. Um, we were talking just a little bit about two-by-two two as well, and I hope to ask Mike a couple more questions on the two-by-two. Two. But with this in fertilizer, he was just mentioning this uh, a G20 product, manganese molybdenum. Molybdenum is one nutrient that we haven't talked about yet, but I, I think it's important to. We don't have a lot of research that's been done around the world. Uh, I mean, there's been some research done on molybdenum around the world, but it's not like super extensive. When I look for studies on nitrogen or phosphorus or potassium, oh my goodness, there's all kinds of stuff published on that. With the molybdenum deal, here's what we do know about molybdenum. It's more available the higher the pH. So if you have low pHs, this is one of the reasons why you want to put lime out there. Get that pH up that helps make this fertility more available, this fertilizer more available. And with molybdenum, it is real important when it comes to nitrogen fixation in soybeans. So if you want to have 
a, an ample amount of nitrogen in that plant, you don't have to put a lot of nitrogen or maybe even any nitrogen on your soybeans if you get tremendous nodulation with that plant. So how do you get better nodulation? Yeah, one of the things is molybdenum. And obviously you want to have good drainage. You want to have your pH relatively neutral, have a good rhizobia in that soil, seed treat, all those kind of things. But anyway, uh, with manganese, that particular nutrient there, that one is, uh, that, that manganese is really helping in terms of boosting overall, uh, uh, let's say early growth, boosting the emergence from that plant. So anyway, manganese, absolutely something that we talk about when we mentioned that with Dr. Jerry as well, when we were talking post-emerge. So I would say also for the in-furrow applications, we do get quite a few questions about manganese. Well, anyway, in, in terms of overall fertility in soybeans, one of the things that I would really encourage you to do is take a look at the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. I'm pulling it up on my phone right now. It's just a free download for your, for your smartphone or your tablet. But anyway, when you look at the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app, it's going to tell you what you need in terms of soybean fertility. So the the night and and quite frankly, you can look at any crop out there. There are a lot of different crops that we have on the fertilizer removal app. Everything from corn to cabbage, everything from soybeans to squash. So anyway, with soybeans, as I pull that up real quick, let's just say that I'm going for a big time yield goal. I want a hundred bushel beans. Okay, so on our farm, we've been averaging 70 the last few years, but I say, you know, my very, very, very best spots, I've been able to hit 100. Let's say I wanted to replicate more of that. Well, when I take a look at that, I, I, the numbers are a little bit staggering. With nitrogen, it's 435 pounds, 435 pounds. Phosphate, 97 pounds. Potassium, K2O potassium, it's 220 pounds. So remember when I was saying a little bit earlier, the phosphorus needs are much more with corn than they are with soybeans. Well, just look at this, think about this ratio here. 97 pounds of phosphate and 220 pounds of K2O potassium. That is a tremendous amount. Then you get to sulfur, 35 pounds. Magnesium, 50 pounds. Calcium, 95 pounds. Copper, 0.15 pounds. Manganese, 1 pound. Zinc, 0.62 pounds. Boron, 0.7 pounds. And iron, 3 pounds per year if you're going to pull out 100 bushel beans. So it does take a tremendous amount of fertility. And like we've been talking all throughout the show, if your whole fertility program is just putting a little bit of fertilizer in furrow in soybeans, it's probably not going to work very well. You're going to have a difficult time getting the level high enough without causing some injury to those soybeans. So you've got to look at other methods to put that on, whether that is broadcast or two by two, whatever it would happen to be. All right. So we got uh, Mike Staten back on again with us. Mike, sorry about that. Having some technical difficulties, I think, today. But uh, you had mentioned two by two fertilizer just a little bit earlier. We've got about a minute left here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you've seen in your trials with two by two fertilizer in soybeans? Yes, Brian, I can. We did 18 trials of that, again, with kind of a pick list of producers, whatever they wanted to put on. Um, except for one fertilizer, we did look at potassium thiosulfate in uh, multiple trials, multiple locations, and uh, about three gallons to the acre of that product. 
Five of our 18 trials did show a yield increase, five out of 18, and uh, but two of them actually had yield decreases, statistically significant. The potassium thiosulfate seemed to work really well in coarse textured soils that were low in organic matter. It's yep. a product that you do not put in furrow, but two by two at three gallons per acre, it was profitable at a couple of locations for us. So in summary, basically, and we just have 30 seconds left, in furrow, two by two, basically a guy's just got to be careful and your trials aren't showing big yield gains in a lot of cases. They're really not. Uh, with soybeans, basically just take care of the, the broadcast fertilizer is typically the way to go. Just maintain your soil test levels your pH adequately where it is, and soybeans are an ultimate. They're really good scavengers. All right, again, we've been talking to Mike Staten. He's with Michigan State University. Mike, thanks a lot for the time. Great insight on that. Really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Brian. You bet. All right, well, stay tuned. We will uh, get to more fertility questions right after this. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy all the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy to handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. The Guardian Air Twin Spray Nozzle from Hypro produces a twin spray pattern with air inducted droplets for superior coverage, even in dense canopies. Be effective and efficient with your spray application this season with the Guardian Air Twin. Hypro, helping you spray better. 
How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are broadcasting today from the Morton studio. If you've got a question for us, the number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. You can send me an email or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So <laughs> just to give you a little backstory on what's going on here, it's, uh, it's, it's really been quite the day. So we're just a little concerned that uh, Darren could possibly have come in contact with somebody who's got COVID-19. Now, well, I'm, I'm pretty confident that he does not have it, but I said, Darren, you can't be in the studio today. So Darren's calling in. Then we have some technical issues where I don't know exactly what happened, but we have fantastic internet here. Uh, we get, we're, we're, even though we're out in the country, we have fiber optic lines. We have multiple electric sources coming into our facility and typically everything runs great. Well, of course, the day that Darren isn't going to be in, in studio, um, then that's when we have some problems. I'm drop, I'm dropping callers. We're, we're having a tough time. I think we even went out there for just a little while. So anyway, thanks for staying with us today. Appreciate it. And uh, Darren, just to kind of wrap up on this soybean fertility thing, so I think I've kind of said my piece on the pop-up fertilizer for the most part. I'm a huge believer in very low rates, really, really low rates. And we had uh, Mike Staten on from Michigan State University. He was talking about how, you know, let's say two, three gallons, something like that. They were seeing not a lot of positive response and they were seeing some negative responses. I think the key thing is to look at your soil tests keep the rates even lower than what they're talking about there. A lot of times I'm talking one total gallon and blending it off with water, and then we see better results. What are, what are your thoughts on soybean fertility and furrow especially? Well, you just have to be careful, and I, I agree with all those cautionary statements. Why? Why do we have to put more in furrow than that? Why do we have to take chances? We don't. And if you think you do on your farm, you're fooling yourself. Try try just thinking about doing it a different way. And maybe you just say, you know what? I'm just not set up to do with the planner. I'm just going to have to broadcast fertility for now. I would rather broadcast the fertility, be slightly less efficient that way, than have a problem with my stand. So if you're going to do stuff in furrow, just look at it as a helper, low rates, safe products, and you'll be fine. Yeah, low rates, safe products, and by safe we mean low salt product, blend it off with a little bit of water, and then usually we feel fairly comfortable. Uh, also, I guess I would throw this out there. You've got to be a little careful about what products you're throwing in if you're going to mix some biologicals along with it, or as we call them, natural products. We've got a lot of people now trying biologicals, and even I would go so far as to say, well, think about inoculant. That's another biological. There are some uh, some zinc products, especially ammoniated zinc, where we have seen that really hurt the levels. In other words, it is it has killed a lot of those beneficial microbes fairly quickly. Well, it sure can. It sure can, and you've got to be cautious about that. That's that's why you really need to follow the recommendations with your agronomist of okay, what's going on? What's been tested? Is there a problem? And not just I don't think there'll be a problem. No, let's find out for sure before we get carried away using a whole bunch of stuff. 
All right. Well, if you've got any questions for us in terms of soybean fertility or anything else, again, just send them send them to us at radio at agphd.com, or you can give us a call 844-44-AG-PHD. Right now, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! Okay, first question just came in from Drew. He says, I farm with my dad in Kansas. We raise wheat, soybeans, occasionally corn and milo. This year, the opportunity to buy a split row planter has come up, and I was wondering what your opinions are on 15-inch soybeans and how much of a difference would a planter make instead of using an air seeder. To my knowledge, we've never had any issue with white mold. Currently, we run our air seeder on 15-inch rows with fertilizer in between. Where would be a good place to research all of the advantages and disadvantages? Also, do you think it would be worth the investment? The planter would also be used for milo and corn. Currently, we have milo and corn custom planted. Uh, one other question, what time of the year do you think it is possible to get the best deal on a corn head? Darren, you want to tackle any of that? Well, I like the planter for sure versus the air seeder. Um, no question in my mind. And then I also like... If you're going to be a corn farmer or you're going to be a milo farmer, having the right equipment to do the job, planter is number one. If you said you can only have one piece of equipment, I'd rent the tractor and own my planter before I I did it the other way around. So for me, I think it's a really good deal. I would definitely do it. Yeah. Okay. So let's just talking about 15 inch rows, 15 inch versus 30 inch rows. If I was going to go with a regular corn planter, the biggest advantage that you're going to see down in Kansas is you're going to shade those rows a lot quicker, which means you're going to trap more moisture. Now, for us... I, I don't know. Were they thinking about the 15-inch row for corn, though, or is the 15-inch row... I'm not talking corn. I'm talking then. soybeans. I'm talking soybeans. I'm just saying if, okay. let's say, he was to buy a planter that was set up on 30-inch rows, I mean, 15-inch is great because he just said... What are your opinions on 15-inch row soybeans? So that's the first yeah, well, question he doing, asked. They've been doing 15 inches. That's what I don't understand, Brian. I think you know, yep. if they're doing 15 with that air seeder already, they already know what 15 inches is like. They're just wondering, is that planter going to place it so much better and so much more predictably than the air seeder? And the answer to that is absolutely. And will you notice a yield difference? Yeah, I'd be shocked if you didn't, especially when you have stressful weather getting that seed put in at the right depth and consistently so every plant's getting out of the ground at the same time, that's a big, big deal. Yeah, you're just going to have more of the seeds growing that you plant. And I agree with Darren 100%. That is a really big deal. Uh, In terms of his other questions here, uh, and he made the comment, he doesn't typically have white mold. And that's really where I was going with this whole thing. When you're in 15-inch rows, we like that in soybeans because you trap moisture and you also will shade that ground quicker so you have better overall weed control. So it helps you with resistant weeds. It helps you with lack of moisture, which typically in Kansas, there is a lack of moisture. So those things are all good. In the north, we have this issue with white mold. And he said he hasn't had white mold. Well, I'll tell you why you haven't had white mold, Drew. It's because you're usually hot down there. When you get hot days, that pretty much eliminates the issue that that you have with white mold because you have to have conditions that are right for mushrooms to grow. That's where white mold gets started. It's with mushrooms. Those mushrooms then shoot the spores out and the white mold uh, gets started in that crop. Okay, so he is asking, too, about when's the best time to get a good deal on a corn head. I mean, Drew, it, it really, 
can vary throughout the course of the year. I would just say this. When the farm economy is bad, that's usually when you can buy equipment at a lower price. Well, let's face it. People are down right now. They're depressed right now because of all the coronavirus stuff going on. A lot of ethanol plants are closing today. So, I mean, at least temporarily. I mean, do I think everything's going to come back? Absolutely. I'm super excited about the future of agriculture. But right now might actually be a fairly decent time to get a deal on a corn head. So if it was me, I would be looking around right now. And for everybody who's listening and you just heard me talk about, yep, times are tough and people are depressed and all this stuff. I, I mean, let's not panic here. I, I mean, if you look at what's going on right now in terms of the whole coronavirus thing, I think we're heading the right direction. Hopefully we're going to get through the worst of it over the course of the next month. Things are going to start to improve. I mean, as farmers, I just think we always kind of have to be optimists. All right, uh, next question here is asking about gibberellic acid. Darren, we talked about gibberellic acid and rise up smart grass, and we, we do that just about every spring because it's important to spray out on silage or in pastures real early on. You want to comment on that real quick? It is really important, and there's a lot of research being done on gibberellic acid. It's something that's known to improve uh, stem elongation and Maybe it could be used in different ways. So we're, we're hearing a lot of different ways this product could be used. We know using Rise Up as it's labeled to use early in the season when it's cooler is, is a proven way that works almost 100% of the time. It's one of those almost guarantee kind of things that you know it's going to work. Okay, so, so I like it. Yeah, so basically the way it works is gibberellic acid is naturally produced in the plant and the rate of production in the plant goes up as the temperature warms up. Well, early in the season, we don't see a lot of stem elongation because there isn't a lot of gibberellic acid because it's cold. So you can basically trick the plant into thinking things are better and force more elongation. You get more tonnage out of your pasture and out of your silage using gibberellic acid. We'll continue in the Ag PhD mailbag next. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact-Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact-Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2Save3 is a service mark and Impact-Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact-Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. This is a seed bag. This bag is made of craft paper with a cellophane liner and provides nothing for seed growth. This is a seed bed. It was prepared with Case IH soil management tools. It optimizes everything from nutrient access to water infiltration to create the perfect environment for early uniform emergence. Get to know why your seed bed drives productivity at caseih.com slash soil management. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. 
Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Challenging field conditions often make harvest difficult. Can your cornhead handle it? The GTS X10 Cornhead from AgriUS is a rugged, cost-effective alternative to heavier, more traditional heads. Constructed of durable yet lightweight aluminum, the X10 puts less strain on your combine without losing harvest effectiveness. And it is 40% lighter than traditional heads, reducing field compaction in those less than ideal conditions. For more information, give us a call at 8334-AGRA-US. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. Next question we've got, or actually just a comment. Um, this one comes from Todd, and we had sent a message out today basically just that we're kind of excited to farm. And uh, uh, and and I in the in the email it had said good times ahead just because we're going to get to be able to farm hopefully pretty soon, and uh, Todd was just kind of questioning good times ahead really, um, look Todd so this is an awfully tough time in the history of the world when you think about what's going on today when was the last time almost everything in the world got shut down. It, it's really challenging, and people's emotions are all over the board. It's, uh, I, I mean, you think about just the isolation that it takes. I mean, for for most of us as farmers, we're used to isolation as it is, being in a tractor or combine or a sprayer for hours on end. You don't see another person. Well, now we're forced to do that. Now, it's one thing if we choose to do that, but when we're forced to do that, uh, it, it gets rough. And they say that roughly half the people out there are extroverts and half are introverts. Well, if you're an introvert, you're probably thinking, yeah, this this isn't so bad. I could do this for quite a while. The extroverts, not so well. My wife is an extrovert and uh, my middle child also is. They're going nuts. <laughs> they they want to go out. They want to talk to people constantly. It's a it's a real challenge. And so, yeah, I apologize. There are some things that we're going to we're going to put out to try to hopefully perk people up a little bit and say, "Hey, let's just focus on what we can control. What we can control is what we're doing on the farm right now." And we just encourage people to stay positive through all through this whole thing. Follow the instructions that are given to us, basically saying stay in isolation, wash your hands, just be real careful about what you're doing, this whole social distancing, everything else. We'll get through this whole deal. Okay, uh, 
next one, and this is pretty long, this is from Mark from Kentucky. And Darren, he's got several questions here. He starts off, he says, hey, I appreciate the show. Thanks for everything that you guys do. I feel like I've learned a lot about farming, new farming techniques that need to be more emphasized in our operation, and I have more confidence in my decision-making. I've, I, I'm, let's see, let's see. Uh, oh, anyway, he just says he, he has a full-time job, but he does farm and with some family members. So anyway, here is three questions. First one is this. I've heard you guys talking about spring while the ground is frozen. And for you, it's in March here in Kentucky. I'd probably need to do that in February. But what products are you using at that point? You what products are we using early? Yep. Spraying out in field? Yes. Well, pre-emerge residual herbicides that are going to last for a long time. So things that can handle being laid on the surface of the soil, we may not be able to incorporate them for quite a while. So like group 15s are a great example. Harness, Surpass, Dual, Outlook, those kinds of products. You can certainly do this with. With the soybean prees, you can certainly do that too if you need to. Personally, on the soybean prees, I'd rather wait till just before we plant so I can get the maximum amount of residual out of them. On corn, I'm not as worried because they got a lot of good products to come in and rescue. Well, okay, so that's one of the key things. When we start talking about spraying on ground that's frozen, we don't want to do that months ahead of when we're going to plant. What we want to do is we're trying to do it on, it, it, we call it frozen ground, but it's frozen for a few hours. So we want to spray on ground when it's frozen in the morning, thawing in the afternoon. So even next week for us, it appears the nighttime temps are going to get down into the low to mid-20s. If that's the case, we have just a little bit to finish up. We can go out there in those mornings, get some spraying done, some fertilizer spreading. We don't have any rain in the forecast right then, but in the afternoons, the ground is going to thaw out. The products will attach themselves to soil then. So we don't want people going out spraying or spreading fertilizer in the middle of the winter when the ground's going to remain froze for another month or two or something like that. So just so we're clear on that. Then the second thing is we don't suggest you do this on every single acre. You want to do this on ground where you're going to be planting relatively soon. Because to Darren's point there, you want to spray close to planting. Well, see, I, I say we are spraying close to planting. If we're in March, even though it might be mid-April before we plant or even late April before we plant the corn or beans, when do weeds emerge here? Well, for us, weeds emerge here usually in late April or the very first part of May. So in other words, I haven't lost anything if I'm spraying in March, if I'm spraying in early April, if I'm spraying in mid-April. It's all the same basic thing because the ground is cold enough. So in your case, Mark, if you're going to go out and spray in February and you want to come back and plant in April and the ground has been thawed out for two full months and there are weeds that have been growing for, let's call it a month or a month and a half, then yeah, you're going to start losing some of that residual control that you're really after. So I guess my question would be, why are you waiting so long to plant? I mean, if I was, and and I'm not saying right or wrong, I, I don't know what the best thing for your area is, but I know this, I am totally unafraid to plant as soon as that ground is thawed out. I don't care 
that next week, oh, the soil temps are going to get down into the 30s. So what? We got great seed treatments. We talked a little about pop-up fertilizer today. We want to make sure that we have good cold germination scores in the seed we're planting. And as long as we're planting after the first crop insurance date, I feel perfectly good. I'm fine. I'm not worried at all. But I'm just wondering why you would be planting so late. I, I mean, if I was in Kentucky, uh, I, I, if the soil was fit, and that's the key thing here, if the soil was fit, I personally would be planting earlier than April if it was me. Uh, okay, his next thing, Darren, is zinc sulfate. He says, I need to put some of that on. Do you recommend spreading that, uh, per the soil test, he says, do you recommend spreading that pound per pound to obtain the phosphorus to zinc kind of 10 to 1-ish kind of ratio? And he's uh, and along with that, is there a spreader that will even spread a low rate? Like, let's say I only needed five pounds to the acre. Could I do that? Well, you sure could, I guess. You know, a lot of people would put it in a blend. I love spreading straight products or working with a multi-compartment spreader where I could put a low rate of zinc on like that and do variable rates. What I, what I see a lot, though, is let's say you're trying to build up that zinc soil test from two parts per million to five or six. Well, you may vary from two to three out in the field. Then I would just say, great, do a flat rate and get three pounds or three three more pounds to get it up to six. That's fine with me, but I, I do like variable rate. And yes, you can do that. And with the zinc and phosphorus, we just talked about something similar to this last week on the show. We're using so many more pounds of phosphorus in the field compared to pounds of zinc. You're going to find you're going to be applying a lot more pounds of phosphorus than, than that ratio is going to dictate. But you do need to get the parts per million of zinc up at some point. Yeah, and in terms of the pound-for-pound pound thing, yeah, it pretty much is pound-for-pound. Pound. So 10 pounds of phosphorus to 1 pound of zinc is kind of what we would like the soil test to show. But you can determine that yourself if you just do some studies on your farm like we have. We found that 8 to 1, 10 to 1 ratio for us is where we maximize yield. Hey, Darren, I'm going to bring Greg on from Watertown, South Dakota, uh, a good friend of ours. Greg, how you doing today? Well, thank you. Thank you for the warm welcome. Doing great. Can't beat it a day. I mean, this is what we dream of all winter, right? Yes, it is. Uh, hey, Greg, we don't have a lot of time left in the show. You yep. had a question about copper yep. sulfate. What's your question? Ago, yeah, you were saying you used, you sprayed copper sulfate with water. Wondering yep. why you didn't, why don't you use dry when you're doing broad acres? That's it? Uh, yeah, the, what it really... Cheaper yeah. to use dry. Well, what it really amounts to is we can get copper sulfate, and we don't we aren't putting a lot out there. We're putting eight pounds out there, and it mixes in water, and we can cover so many more acres with our big sprayer and a 120 foot boom and spraying about 10, 12 miles an hour than we can with a little fertilizer spreader. So oh, you know okay. when we're only talking a few pounds, it's really tough. And and to go back to Mark's question from Kentucky here, he's asking, okay, can I do five pounds of zinc sulfate per acre? Well, boy, if you're starting to get down to that low a level, it's tough to justify running that, that fertilizer spreader across that acre. But, boy, with a great big sprayer, I can do it fast. Right. And how's the cost per acre end up comparing? Well, as much or on, the, on just on the copper sulfate? Uh, yeah. It, the it, copper. Yeah. It, 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 it costs a little more or a lot more? 
No, it should be similar money. Okay. So that's the okay. that's the number one thing we always want to be looking at is what is the cost. And so for us, it was actually the cheapest way to go. We just blend it in the water. The key thing, though, if you do that and put copper sulfate in water, just make sure you flush your sprayer out at the end of the day. Uh, it can cause issues in your sprayer if you leave a bunch sitting in there for a couple, three days. So just clean it out at the end of the day. Everything should be good. Hey, Greg, we get a run, but thanks Thank for the you. question. Yep, Thank appreciate you. it. You bet. Bye. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the show today. Before we go, I just want to say thanks to our production staff. Uh, thanks to everybody who called in or wrote in with questions. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.